Yes, I am now. Wow, I am. I'm most certainly on. Thank you for praying for me again. It's wonderful that you are a fiery one. You know, I come across people like Joyce and I realize I have a long way to come. I'm a rookie. I have a long way to come. It's good to be humbled by a 90-year-old, isn't it? This 40-year-old man going out to change the world and he meets a 90-year-old woman and he feels very small. I feel like the donkey. Joyce, you can get on the back and I'll ride you into town. It's a real privilege for me to be here with you guys today. Um, I don't take this opportunity lightly. I, I travel a lot and I preach a lot. But each time I see new faces... And it's wonderful that God has given me a ministry where I can travel. I travel all around the world. And it's, it is, really is wonderful. And I get to see some wonderful things. But as I've been in Worcester, I can honestly say this. As Simeon and Ruth have been hosting me. It didn't feel this weekend like I've been traveling at all. I felt like I've been home. I felt like I've been home. I came downstairs in Simeon and Ruth's house. I had the sofa to myself. Simeon and Ruth were there. They give me coffee. They give me toast. They give me bacon sandwiches. Actually, now I come to think about it, that's not like home at all. <laughs> Actually, that is not like home at all. It's like, Jen, there's any breakfast? There's cornflakes in the... Like, so actually, I've been really looked after, and I want to thank you all, and I'll especially want to thank you too for being wonderful hosts. It's been, and I said this to you this, either last night or this morning, it's been easy. Easy. Sometimes I stay in people's houses and they produce a judo mat for me to sleep on. I'm like, are you, oh, okay. <laughs> like clearly, you know, a bed would have been better. I've been, I've been put on people's sofas and nine other people have slept in the living room. I was unaware of that agreement. So when I stay with these guys, it's very, very easy. And besides all of that, you guys are wonderful. But I want to share with you a story. I want to read some scripture to you. I believe God is going to impart boldness into you. I believe God is going to call you into courage. I believe... You see, because if I don't believe this, let me tell you what I believe. I believe that today you can receive something so powerful and so life-changing, not from me, by the Holy Ghost, that I believe that you can receive something so powerful and so life-changing that you don't even recognize yourself. That when you wake up tomorrow, there's a certain stiffness in your spine and your head's raised up and your shoulders are back. And you no longer look down and the world feels heavy, but you know who you are through right standing with your Father. Amen. I believe that you can receive something that will shift your walk with the Lord. Because that's why I'm here, not only to see it happen to you, but to see it happen to me. I don't come here to just minister. I come here to be equipped to equip. 
If I don't receive whilst I'm ministering, there's an old saying, an empty sack won't stand up. So I'm expecting God to equip me as I speak to you. If I don't expect that we can change in an instance, I don't have the mind of Christ. And if I don't have the mind of Christ, I have an impoverished mind. And an impoverished mindset will not believe and accept the things of God. So all of a sudden, we read the promises, we read the yeses and amens, we read the plans, and we read all the liberty and the freedom God has, but our answer is not yes and amen, it's more yes, but. I want to kick butts today. <laughs> out this door. I want to kick the yeah, butts out. I want to see excuses leave. You know, I wasn't brought up in a church. I've only been going to church for eight years. I've only been going, sorry, eight and a half years. I didn't know a Christian until 2010. And I met someone just like you. And I met someone just like you. And someone just like you. And they told me about Jesus and my life has never been the same. I do not recognize the person I used to be because I'm not him, he's dead. And like I said yesterday, I will not give that man CPR. We've been given the power and authority to raise people from the dead, but I ain't re raising that Andrew Cannon up. I want him. Thank you so much. Can, can I hug you? Do you mind if I eat this later? Is that, is that okay? Hey, you're a princess, you know that, don't you? You're amazing. And you know when we were singing, our God is a lion. The Lion of Judah. I turned around and I seen you punch in the sky. You're a fighter, aren't you? Will you, will you keep yeah. praying for me? Yeah. Thank you so much. Love, I love you. You too, man. Thank you. We're to turn this world on its head. We're to turn this world on its head. I wasn't brought up in a church. I promise I didn't know anyone as wonderful as you nine years ago. What I mean by wonderful, of course, my parents were wonderful, my family were wonderful, but I didn't know anyone who was filled with resurrection power. I didn't know anyone who could actually speak into me and the flesh would die. I didn't know anyone, didn't know any of you. I didn't know a single Christian until 2010. This nation is founded on the Christian faith, right? Gene said a statistic that 65 million men were mobilized. And when Gene said that, I pulled out my phone and I wanted to see the population of Britain. It's 66 million. Can you imagine this nation being mobilized, lifting up the name of Jesus? Can you imagine? We have two names, kind of two names. People say to me, where are you from? They say, are you from the United Kingdom? That sounds great, doesn't it? The United Kingdom, or are you from Great Britain? The Great Britain bit, yet we can handle that. But I'm more interested in a United Kingdom. People holding hands, holding forces, bringing their strengths together. Do you know, together we're better, and in unity we are stronger. I promise you. I promise you. Individually, we're like a single piece of rope. You may catch fish when you go out fishing for men, but I guarantee you, tied together, we become a net. And when we cast that net, we will pull in a whole shoal of fish. I promise, I've seen it done countless times around the world. 
I've seen people who go out like an arrow on their own and forget to follow the rest and forget to bring the rest with them. Together we are better. In unity we are stronger. And I need to press on. Okay, I'm going to read some scripture to you and then I'm going to weave my testimony into it. I was wrestling with God this morning before I came down and I was like, God, I feel like you want me to speak through Matthew 6 and I feel like he was going to ask me to, to remove worry. To remove worry. You know, worry is like concern on steroids. It is. Worry. Do not worry. Okay? Do not worry. But I'm not going to go into that sermon today. But I feel like I need to at least address what I was wrestling with. Don't worry. Don't worry. Do not worry. Put your hand on your heart. Say, I'm not going to worry. Amen. See, because you are warriors, not worriers. We're in a battle. And we're in a battle. But listen to this. We have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and two-thirds of the angels backing us up. I can, promise you, I can promise you, no one out there who is not filled with the Spirit has more authority than us. And it's not us and them. It's us going to get them. Filled with the Holy Spirit, we are the people we've been waiting for. We have to share our faith. Let me read from Acts 3. And I'm going to... He's got a jelly baby in the way. I've never had a jelly baby on the pulpit before. More, Lord. More. You're amazing. I'm going to read some scripture to you. And I'm going to read 10 verses of Acts 3. Acts 3 verses 1 to 10. And then I'm going to, this, this passage, when I read this, it's like my life is in these 10 verses. It's like, it's, it, I feel as though it's written so much about me. When I'm in conferences and I hear other men and women of God minister it, I'm like, did they even ask for my permission? It's like, did they ask my, for my permission to preach Acts 3? I was like, this is mine. It belongs to God, but I believe it's written about me. That makes sense. Okay, so we're going to go from verses 1 to 10. One day, say one day. One day, John, Peter and John were going into the temple court at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him. By the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he, the paralyzed man, he went with them, Peter and John, into the temple courts, 
walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man that used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Amen. That seems quite quick when you don't have an interpreter. Now, I know I'm from Liverpool, and some of you may have needed one, but I just trust the Holy Ghost will minister to you through that confusion right there. Okay, so here it is. We have a man that is born lame. It says in Acts 4 that he was placed at the gate for 40 plus years. 40 plus years. That's a long time. So just dream with me a little. Let's say it was the latter half of the 40 years. Let's say it was the 49th year. So here is a man that's been picked up and placed in a certain area for nearly 50 years. Okay? For nearly 50 years. Now this man was born lame. His ankles were not strong. So I believe, reading the story, and I don't think this is too far-fetched, even though the scriptures don't specifically give it the details but again just dream with me I believe two people picked him up and took him to this gate each morning or each afternoon and placed him there and then they left now this man was asking for silver and gold outside the church and receiving it but his life was not changing So here is a man who's asking for silver and gold, asking for a specific thing for 40 plus years and receiving it, but only his circumstance change, but not his life. How do you mean, Andrew? Well, let me tell you this. It's Monday morning. The time of prayer is on its way. Two men knock on the door. One of the relatives open it. They go in, they pick up the paralyzed man and they carry him. Monday, Monday afternoon, and they plonk him outside the gate. The man goes with an empty cup, silver and gold, people give him it, because they were very charitable. Their culture was to be very charitable. So this man would have gone with an empty cup, paralyzed, his cup would have been filled, and he would have gone home. They picked him up and took him home. Now, it's Tuesday. Don't you worry, I'm not going to go all the way to Sunday, okay? It's Tuesday now, and they pick him up, the same two people, and they pick the same man up with the same cup that was full but now is empty, and they put him at the gate, called Beautiful, with an empty cup, and the cup's filled. Wednesday morning, do you see what's happening? The man has an empty cup, full cup, empty cup, full cup. His situation is changing, empty, full, empty, full, empty, full. But his life's not. Because for 40 plus years, he's been picked up here and placed over here. So his life was not changing, only a circumstance. Do you see what I'm saying? Let me tell you something. I know this to be true because I've lived a life like this. I've lived a life like this. I've lived on the streets, okay? I was homeless. Okay, I'm going to get into my testimony. And typically when I get into my testimony, people start to lean in. And a lot of people say, I would never have guessed that about you. And that's what blesses me. It's when people say, oh yeah, I can see that all over you. That doesn't bless me. Oh yeah, I can see you as a right rotter. I'm a changed man. How can you even see that? (laughs) It's when people go, I would never have guessed. That's what I'm hoping, okay? So here is a man that's asking for the same thing and receiving it, but his life not changing. 
time we swap. Yeah, I can switch this off, bro. There we go. But I'm going to leave it on because it's just going to take too long to get undressed. Is that okay? Is that okay? The last thing people want me to do right now is to start. You know what I mean. It took me five minutes to put it on in secret. It's going to take me 20 minutes to get it off in front of you all, I can assure you. So here is a man that is born lame, placed somewhere, asking for something and receiving it, and his life not changing. I want you to hold that thought of what are you asking for? What are you receiving? And is it changing your life? Hold a thought. What are you asking for? What are you receiving? And is it changing your life or your circumstance? In 2009, September 2009, I was given three weeks to live. Three weeks. That's right. Three weeks to live. September 2009. I was a cocaine addict. I was an alcoholic and I was a self-harmer. I was living on and off the streets. I didn't know any of you. I wish I did, but I didn't. I left school and I went into a printing factory and I worked for five years there. And my cousin who owned a construction company, he offered me a job. And, and the, uh, the thought pattern of whether I go for this job or not was how much money will I earn. And I earned double overnight. I had a 100% pay rise overnight. So that's all I needed, right? Because I was filled with the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the world is all about me. And you, being the me you are. It's all about me, me, me. The wisdom of the world is sensual. The Bible says is sensual, demonic, and rebellious against God. So I go into a construction firm. I worked there for a number of years, establishing my own company. And I go on to make a success of that. You see, I was brought up in a loving home, a privileged home, not a privileged upbringing, as in materialistic stuff. I lived in a terraced council house. There was five of us in there. I had a loving father, a loving mother, older brother, younger sister. I had one holiday a year to Torquay because my auntie lived there. And our plane was called the National Express Coach. Like, I didn't have a part. I didn't go on holiday to, on a plane till I was 18 until I could afford to pay for myself. But I had a privileged upbringing. And what I mean by that, I knew I was loved. I knew my parents loved me. But my parents were not God-fearing parents. They didn't know that there was a kingdom of light. So the wisdom that they're pouring into me, which they believe is absolutely honoring and true and righteous in a, in a strange way, they're pouring this wisdom into me. It's, it wasn't going to all the nations baptizing people and making disciples. It wasn't that. It was going to all the world, son, and make a success of yourself. And I did. I opened up a construction company. I was earning £10,000 a month living at home. 23-year-old kid, 22-year-old kid, netting ten grand a month living at home. Now, have you all heard that saying, more money than sense? I think that was written for me. I had all this money and no sense. So what I would do is I would, I would live a life according to the measuring stick of the world. Because I was filled with the wisdom of the world. And 
deep down, I had no idea that I was searching for truth and I was searching for God. But the wisdom that I was filled with is sensual, all about me, demonic of a different spirit and rebellious against God. So the very wisdom that I was filled with was pushing me away from the one person who could truly answer the question, who am I? So I had no idea who I was because the wisdom that I was filled with was pushing me away from the one who could truly say, I know who you are. You're mine. So I went off into this world of success and fast cars and, and all that kind of stuff. Drink, drugs. I was maintaining a company. I had 10, bo- 10 men working for me. They were earning me lots of money. So my life in the worldly standards all seemed absolutely fine <clears throat> I can remember coming out of my mother's house once once to go and watch a boxing fight on the TV in the local labour club and I can remember walking out and a friend of mine a friend who lived facing my mother's came out the house at the same time we didn't intend to meet we just did and we're walking and he asks me where I'm going and I told him I was going to watch the boxing fight it was the Chris Eubank era. So I'm going to watch the boxing fight. And this is what he says. My friend said this to me. He said, Andy, have you ever tried cocaine? I said, no. He said, do you want to? I said, go on. That easy. That easy. So when I travel and a lot of, and like if there's a lot of youth in the room, they always, their first question they ask me is, how long did it take you to get addicted? Or how much did you spend or I can talk about the power and the presence of God and the hand of God touching me. And then they normally ask me, what car did you drive? It's like, there's like, we need to break this down. So I had all this money, all this thing, all everything. The wisdom of the world was crushing me, absolutely crushing me. And I had no idea where I was going. And I bump into this lad and he tells me, a friend of mine, he tells me, Sorry, he asked me, do I, have I ever tried cocaine? I said, no. He said, do you want to? I said, yes. So when people ask me how long it took me to become addicted, I have no idea. But I can show you something. He puts it on my hand here. I sniff it up here. It does what it's supposed to do. And by time as I get online with Simeon here, I'm asking my friend for the drug dealer's number. And I called that number nearly every day for nine years. Nearly every day. The only days I didn't ring it was when I'd bought enough drugs the day before to get me through. My life started to spiral out of control. I maintained my company, but internally I was breaking down. And I'm going to share this backstory and I'm going to get to the very important part where Jesus comes in. Okay? But I just want to show you, I have no issues in telling you how bad I was because I have no issues telling anyone just how good Jesus is. So I was this person full of sin, full of anger, full of hatred, full of self-destruction. Trying to work it all out, full of the wisdom of the world, full of this demonic spirit, really. That was all about me. And I can remember just trying to stop taking it. 
And it was in that moment that I realized, actually, I'm addicted to it. You see, you don't realize, okay, this is an illustration I can give you. A friend of mine drinks a lot of coffee. He lives in Texas, drinks a lot of coffee. And I actually drink coffee, okay? But I said to my friend, Keith, I think you have a bit of an issue with that. He said, I don't. I said, okay, let me ask you a question. If coffee became illegal tonight, would you have a problem tomorrow? I said, if coffee became illegal tonight, would you have a problem tomorrow morning? He said, ah, I see where you're going. You see, for me, I didn't realize I had a cocaine problem because one, I could fund the habit and two, I could get it anywhere I wanted. Everywhere I want, anytime I wanted. I only realized I had a problem when I tried to stop because I'm trying to put the brakes on this force and this grip that's got me and I couldn't stop. So do you know what I did because I couldn't stop? I took more. I took more to hide the fear and the pain and the anxiety and the stress. So I tried to block it out. That I was addicted. I tried to block it out. Started to drink more. And I started to lose a lot of weight. I was eight stone at the time. I'm five and a half stone heavier now. And my life just started to spiral out of control. I had no knowledge of the kingdom of light. I had no knowledge that there was a great big God out there. I had no knowledge that there was a loving father who I could actually say sorry to and mean it. And he would accept it. I didn't know that there was a chance of repentance. I didn't know that there was a death, a burial, and a resurrection. I didn't know the greatest news to mankind that he is alive. I didn't know. I didn't know there was an empty tomb. No one had told me. 32 years of my life, I never once rejected Jesus. I'm looking at you guys and I feel like you guys are right in the story. It's great. Because there's nothing worse than someone coming to preach a word and people are just like this. I'm looking at you guys and I can see God is doing something to you through this broken life that is no longer lost, that is found. And I just come to to encourage you and equip you, not condemn you. I want to excite you, pour enthusiasm in you. And I want to lift you up so your shoulders come back and you go, not on my watch. I'm going to tell everyone about Jesus. Not on my watch. I promise you, you are the people Worcester's been waiting for. I can tell you, I promise you, you are the people Worcester have been waiting for. You are. Because there's you who have the knowledge of the kingdom of light. It's you who have the revelation that he's alive. And it's because of people like us, we can introduce them into the kingdom. So I'm this man and I'm absolutely broke. And I start to hate myself because I can't stop taking alcohol. I got kidnapped. Drug dealer put a gun on my face, took me away. I got kidnapped. That was a scene. That was an absolute mess. I can assure you right now that was a mess. I came out of a friend's house who had just bought drugs and I come out the door. It was upstairs in like a little council four block of flats. And I came out and as soon as I turned around, boom, there was a gun put in my face. I was like, oh, you're kidding me. He goes, knock on the door. He wanted to use me 
as a, as a crowbar to get into the house where all the drugs were. So, we got, so I was like, no, 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 anyway, I get kidnapped. That's another story for another time. But I'm just trying to touch on many things. I've been kidnapped. I bit my tongue off. I bit it off. I got hit so hard, took my tongue to hospital in my pocket. I had nine staples and 17 stitches. I've had two suicide attempts. I've been through car windscreens. My life was a mess. And all the time, God's like, just call on me, son. Call on me, son. I was telling Simeon and Ruth, I've been to, through two car windscreens, not a scratch. Not a scratch. I had a bruise on my knee the size of a 10 pence piece where my knees banged together. That's it. Through the windows twice. I've been kidnapped by drug dealers. I'm still here. I stuck a 12-inch knife in my chest, lost three pints of blood. I'm still here. God had a plan for me. God had a plan for me. God had a plan for me before the foundations of the earth, but needed, not needed, wanted someone like you to tell me. You see, when I called on the name of Jesus, I didn't catch heaven out. They were like, oh my days, we expected this six months later. Oh, oh let's, let's get in the kitchen and, and let's make up some salvation for Andrew. No, it was always there. It's been there for 2,000 years. And I walked 32 years through hell until someone like you told me about Jesus. And my life is amazing now. Oh, I have, strugg- I have struggles. I have hardships. All my days, sometimes my chin's on the floor and it's scraping and I have no idea how I'm going to get through the next day. But I know someone who will get me through it. His name is Jesus. So we go back to Acts 3 because I'm conscious of time and I want to bring people forward and pray for them. So here is a man that was born spiritually lame, going through the same motions, losing his company, being on the streets, living on the streets. I was sleeping in doorways. I used to have... Oh my day, you wouldn't believe how much stuff, how much material stuff I used to have. I was, I was flying high, okay? And somehow it gets in. The drink, the drugs, the paranoia, the anxiety, the self-hatred. And then all of a sudden I find myself sleeping in doorways. Two o'clock in the morning, in the middle of Liverpool city centre, men in suits who've just come out of the clubs urinating on me when I'm asleep. It can happen, trust me. It can happen. It can happen to the unlikelies. I was a good kid. Did well in school, surprised everyone. I was a good kid, hard worker. I've got two hands that are willing to work. And yet somehow this happened to me. No one else in my family... No one else. I have a lot of business people in my family, a lot of intelligent people. And yet somehow it happens to me. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. And I had no idea that I was in a spiritual battle because I didn't know there was a spirit of holiness and a spirit of evil. I didn't know it. I'm trying to work all this stuff out with a carnal mind, with a flesh mind. It was hard work. It was hard work. I move into a Christian rehabilitation centre. I need to fast forward, sorry. I move into a Christian rehabilitation centre, 2010, January. Not knowing God, full of cocaine, full of alcohol, full of, I had 112 scars on my body because I self-harmed. 
I lost the plot. I thought the drug dealers were going to kidnap me again. And I took a 12-inch knife to bed. And I thought, if they come through this door, they're going to get it. They would never have got it. I was not the type of drunk that I was. I would hug you too many times. I was a hugger. I'd annoy people by trying to hug them 60 times in half an hour. I was never a closed fist kind of drunk. I was never through things. I would never go angry. I, honestly, I was like a leech. I'd hug everyone. I love you. That was the kind of drunk I was. But all of a sudden, I've got this hatred in me now. And I'm taking a 12-inch knife to bed. And I used it on myself over 112 times. The Lord's removed all them scars apart from one. I stuck a 3-inch, a 12-inch knife in my chest. Went in about an inch and a half. I lost three pints of blood. Failed suicide attempts. I move into a Christian rehabilitation centre. This is the good bit now. This is the good bit. All that's just darkness. Egos. Destruction. Lies. Cheating. Thieving. All that mess. I, that person moves into a Christian rehabilitation centre. January 2010. I move in there. I'd never been to church. I'd never heard the gospel. I didn't know there was a death, a burial, a resurrection. I didn't know there was a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Whoa, I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a baptism of fire. I didn't know you could speak in tongues. I mean, crikey, what on earth even is that when you're not saved? That's like, oh my days, you need Jesus. I've got him. It's like... I'd never heard it. I'd never heard anything. I'd never been to church. I'd never read a single passage out the Bible. I move into this, into this uh, rehab and I'm sitting in a, in a little dining room. The rehab was a bungalow, okay? Five bedroom bungalow. And I'm sitting in the dining room like this. Sorry, in, in the chapel, what was the dining room? And I'm waiting to have my first Bible study. I didn't even have a Bible in front of me. They hadn't given me one yet. And I'm sitting there. And I'm looking at these men in the discipleship center. And I know there's something different about them. However, I knew we've had, we had something in common. I knew that these other eight men, it was a male discipleship center. I knew that these other eight men had had a similar or the same background as me, drink, drugs, anxiety, stress, self-harm and suicide attempts. But as I look in their eyes, I see something different. I had no idea what it was, but they were filled with the peace of God. And I had no idea how a life like ours, they could be like that and I could be like this. I had no idea they'd had an encounter with the living God. So I'm sitting in this room, 915 A.M., waiting for my first Bible study. I have no idea what to expect. Never opened the Bible in my life. A man walks in. The sensor manager. His name is Ian Aiken. He walks in. He walks into... Have any of you guys heard of Ian Aiken? No, I don't suppose you have. I don't suppose you have. And the chances are you may never again. He's a very humble man. Doesn't preach to the multitudes. He hasn't got a TV show. He hasn't got 60 million quid coming in a year. He's a very humble man. He works in a bungalow and disciples men back to life. He's my hero. He led me to Jesus. 
So I'm in this discipleship center, unaware about, about sort of what's just happened. And I've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and the two-thirds of the angels like, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> he has no idea of what's about to happen right now. And I can assure you, them the other eight lads didn't either. So I'm sitting there, and this Ian Aiken walks in Ruth like this, and he goes, someone in here wants to give their life to Jesus now. And honestly, I jumped up like I had a thousand bolts of lightning running through me. I went, that's me, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus now. I didn't even know Jesus existed. And I'm offering to give my life to someone I didn't even know was real. But I felt something, Simeon. I felt something pulling me in. Now I know it was someone. It was the comforter. I went, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. This is what I did. The audacity of it. But God's like, yeah, I understand. Like, no one's told you about me. I'm going to let you off. I went, if you're real. Like, all of a sudden, he's deaf now as well. If, if you're real. Save me in the hands of God. Touch me. I'm being serious. The hands of God touched me and paired nine years of addictions out of me instantly. Baptized me in the Holy Ghost and in fire. I was praying in tongues and then I had to grab a Bible to read what had just happened to me. That's a good time to say amen. So what happened to me was I had no idea that Jesus existed. Someone like you who knows for for, for a fact that he's real and he lives inside you. It was someone like you and 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 like you that told me about Jesus and my life has never been the same. I'm eight and a half years into walking with the Lord. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea where I'm going, but I love him. I'm establishing a school in Cape Town. I'm Putting a stadium event with 85,000 people. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know he loves me. And it was someone like you that led me to Jesus. It was someone just like you. I promise you, I promise you right now, and I mean this with all that I am. If you are thinking that couldn't have been someone like me, I promise you you're being deceived. Oh, it was someone just like you. You. Just like you. It was someone just... I'm coming a bit closer. I can see we're making eye contact. You ain't getting away. I want you to definitely... It was someone... Don't leave me hanging. Just like you. Someone just like you that led me to Jesus. Because you're filled with resurrection power. So, back to Acts 3. We've got seven minutes. And then I'm going to go into Ecclesiastes for an hour. <laughs> My wife's expecting me at five. As long as I don't go over that, I'm fine. <clears throat> I promise, I promise we're not. I promise. I wouldn't have a clue what to say. So this man walks in, Ian Aiken, and leads me to Jesus. He sees this broken man. And what Ian Aiken does is what? You're precious. She is so precious, isn't she? Did you see her here before with the sunglasses on? Just like, I'm just too cool for religion. <laughs> like, this is a relationship we have. She was amazing. Like, a lot of people, when I came in, shook my hand. She hit me with a flag. <laughs> like, 
There's just something about being a child that you just get away with these things, isn't it? Let's remain childlike, but don't hit people with flags, okay? So Ian Aiken walks into this room and says, someone in here wants to give their life to Jesus. Let me tell you what I believe is happening here. Peter and John, filled with compassion, are walking to the church, the, the synagogue, right? The temple. They're walking to the church and they see this man and they recognize him. Because Peter and John would have done this walk many, many times. And with their charitable deeds, I believe they would have given. It's very important in their culture to be charitable. I know Jews. I know Messianic Jews. They tell me this stuff. It's so entrenched in them to be charitable. It's part of their belief system. Okay? So they would have seen this man. Peter and John would have seen him and given money. But this time, a chapter after the Day of Pentecost, they're filled with the resurrection power. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. A pillar of fire rests upon them. Oh my days, these people don't look the same Monday morning. Just like you or not. So these see this man and they take compassion and they go, look at me. And the man looks at him expecting to receive something. The man is expecting unwittingly to receive the very thing that's going to keep him in the same situation. The man unwittingly is expecting to receive the same thing that will only change his circumstances. Peter and John are like, blow that. We've had an encounter. We've been filled with the Holy Ghost. They look at him and they say, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. They took him by the right hand. The man's ankles became strong. He took off running, jumping, shouting, praising the Lord. And the people that knew him did no longer recognize him. Let me tell you what I, what I believe has happened here. Peter and John have seen the situation. Compassion's come upon them and they know this revelation that they have. In that moment, they don't give the man the blessing. They gave him the blesser. They gave him the blesser. And it was the blesser that rose him up onto his feet, not the blessing. Hear me. Don't hear me wrong now. I'm not against financial blessing. If you want to go and bless someone out there, a neighbor, a family member, do it. Do it. Challenge yourself. Stretch yourself. Don't do it to where you're comfortable. Go beyond your comfort measure and give. Give to them. But listen to me very carefully. If you just give them silver and gold and you don't attach the name of Jesus to it, what you're giving them, believe me, is temporary. They will spend it and it will go. But if you don't just give them the blessing and you attach the blesser who is the ultimate blessing, they'll never outspend him. Ian Aiken, 21st of January, 2010. He walks into a room and this is what he says. You know what he said, right? Someone in here wants to give their life to Jesus. But let me tell you what it sounds like to me now. He kicks open the door and he says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, Andrew, I give unto you. He said to me, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Ian Aiken took me by the right hand and he lifted me up. And I became strong. My ankles, my back, my body, my mind, my my self-control. He filled me with everything. Jesus touched me. Why? Because someone looked beyond the blessing and attached the blesser to it. So often they're not. So often they're not. The church feel like they're relevant because they're giving handouts. This man received received handouts for 40 plus years. Do you know what he was desperate in need of? A hand up. 
That's when his life changed. Ian Aiken. You feel like you know this man now, don't you? Ian Aiken. It was the man that led me to Jesus and none of you know him. He changed my life forever because he introduced me to the man, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who can truly answer the question, I know who you are, son. And because I know who I am, I can live right. Because I know I'm not this person and I was under attack and the devil tried to take me out, now I have clarity in my life and I can look at that one and go, ah, I see what happened there. But when you're in it and you don't know there's a kingdom of light over there, you're just living in this and you're entrenched and your head's down and you become full of anxiety. I'm going to finish with this. I feel like I've done amazing here. It's three minutes to 12. Seriously, bro, this is a first for me to like to finish on time. These hosted me that well. I want to come back. (laughs) Seriously. I want to finish with this. And I promise you right now. Do we have a ministry team? Yeah, just a prayer team? That's cool. Okay. What I want to say is this. Did you see how easy my life got turned around? Someone in here wants to give their life to Jesus. Someone in here wants to give their life to Jesus. That's all I heard. I believe that was the Lord speaking through Ian Aiken. The Lord knew exactly who it was. Do you know why? Ian Aiken walked into a room and said, someone in here, someone applying, it could be any of you, someone in here wants to give their life to Jesus. Do you know the other eight men were already saved? I was tricked into the kingdom of God. Someone in here. That's me. Of course it was me. The other eight were already saved. But I'm telling you right now, I want you to bow your heads and then I'm going to call people out in a moment. Okay? I'm not going to call you out to give your life to the Lord. So just settle. Just relax. We're family. Okay? I promise you, I'm not going to make a spectacle of you. Or just, just relax. Okay? Just relax. If you want to meet that Jesus that I've just been speaking about, the Jesus that can remove all your pain, all your sorrow, all your addictions, all your anxiety, all your worries, all your stress, if you don't know him as your Lord and Saviour, If you don't know Jesus as your king and you want to start a relationship with him today, I want you to just lift up your hand. I see you. More importantly, he does. You can put your hand down now. Thank you for being bold. Is there anyone else in here who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and wants to meet with him today? Amen. 
I'm going to come and speak to you as soon as the service is finished, okay? Now, what I want to do now, very quickly, is this. I don't want you to think about it. I don't want you to negotiate in your mind, in the flesh. I want you to just ask yourself this question and be ruthlessly, ruthlessly honest with yourself. If there's been opportunities for you to share your faith and you've clammed up and you've been so disappointed with yourself and you go, God, give me another opportunity and he gives you another opportunity and you clam up and you don't open your mouth and then you go, God, and all of a sudden God's throwing opportunities at you and you're not taking them and you know that actually it was a God-given moment for you to share your faith but you didn't step out. I want you to stand up now and come forward. We're going to pray for you. I know there is many, many people in here that you've had opportunities to share your faith and fear has gripped you. I want you to come forward now and we're just going to pray and we're going to release we're going to release that fear off you. I know there's people in here, and I seriously, if no one comes forward, that's cool for me. But I'm, it's on you. It's not on me. Bless you. Good lad. <laughs>